0: Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning. Did you get to watch the Royal Wedding? Yes, like two billion people on the planet or however many people there were. Um, The Reverend Bishop Michael Curry, now a household name, uh, what a tremendous... Uh, I don't know what you call it, actually. Was it a sermon or a homily or uh, uh, about love and the fire? I was uh, quite inspired by that. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, This morning, one of the interesting things about uh, last night, I thought the commentary we were watching, um, the commentators thought he spoke a little bit long. And I thought, well, you should come to our Sunday morning services. It's slightly longer than that. So look, I hope this morning that uh, however long we go for, that you will Get the message that God has for you this morning and perhaps not be like the commentator looking in going, "Oh, 33 minutes. Let's see what God has to say this morning. We are in a series. We're going back to a series called Key Truths. We're in a year of growing deeper. And we, at the start of this year, we discerned that God was saying to us, this is a year to grow deeper, grow deeper into what God has for each of us, individually and as a church. And we started the year with a series we called Key Truths and we did four messages, now we're coming back with a few more. It's kind of part two and these key truths are foundational uh, truths that we believe in. Foundational truths that are important to us as we follow God. Now the first four that we looked at earlier in the year were about the sovereignty of God that God calls us to grow. The third one had a great title. It was Deep Roots Lead to Big Wings. And the fourth one was God is a Father. If you miss those, you can hear them on podcasts. We've got a great website. You can go and have a look at them on the podcast. They're not sequential. So it's not critical that you heard any of those for what's going to happen this morning and what we're talking about this morning. So don't worry uh, if you haven't heard those. This morning's key truth is about being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible talks about being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And I thought, how are we going to share this this morning? So here's what we're going to do. We are going to address this subject, which which maybe for you, if you haven't heard this idea of the Holy Spirit, this might be a bit weird and a bit scary. It's a bit strange. It's not normal to say, yes, there's somebody dwelling in us but I hope that by the end of our conversation this morning, it won't be scary anymore, but really exciting. And so as we go through this, we're going to look at two big questions. One is, who is this Holy Spirit? Two is, what does the Holy Spirit do? And then we're going to look at what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, often we start our Before the sermon, if you've been here regularly, you know we usually do a Bible reading. We often use that reading, we go through it and we unpack it and we we learn more about that reading. This morning I'm going to do things a little differently because I'm going to draw on lots of different parts of the Bible. And so that's why we don't have a reading. Although if you've got the news sheet and in the newsletter that was sent out by email, there are a few of the readings that I'll use there. So please follow along, but that's why we don't have a reading. We're going to use lots and lots of them. But I'm actually going to start in a place that's not... The Bible, but it's in Carey's statement of faith. So these are statements that are on the website. You can go there and look what we believe, and it says a number of things. Here's one of them, and I hope I have this up on the slide, up on the projector for you. There is only one God. This is what we believe. There is only one God. He is infinitely good and great, and has revealed himself to be a personal and triune to be personal and triune in essential being eternally existing as father, son and holy spirit. Well how do we get to that statement it's not a bible verse so how did we get there? Let's look briefly at who the holy spirit is from the bible. And we'll actually start not with the holy spirit but God. In the old testament God revealed himself as one God. In Deuteronomy 6.4, he says to the Israelites, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in the Old Testament, God revealed himself. I am one God. And then in the New Testament, we meet Jesus. And Jesus' followers came to see that he was God become man. And if you look in the Gospel of John, so John was one of his followers You read this right at the start. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then a few verses later, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So the Bible reveals that Jesus wasn't another God, but that Jesus was God the Son. And these early people following Jesus saw that God the Father and God the Son were distinct, but one, the Father was God and the Son was God. And Jesus, God, promised to his followers that he would send the Holy Spirit. So in John 14, we see that Jesus says he would send his Holy Spirit to be with and in his followers. The Bible reveals Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. Now, throughout history, the church has struggled with language. How do we talk about this revelation of one God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? It's not easy. What we can do is affirm the very personal nature of the relationship between the three. We speak of a relationship of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you can't have love without a beloved, somebody to love. We use words like Trinity and Godhead. They don't appear in the Bible, but they're kind of our best efforts at summarising what this Father, Son and Holy Spirit revelation means. And there's all sorts of theological and philosophical discussion. If you're interested, you can read for decades about this topic. So I encourage you to go and have a look at something. But in summary, the Bible is the most important place to get our revelation of who God is. And the Bible clearly reveals to us that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So we've seen the Bible reveals Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but the Bible also reveals different roles. And if we look at the roles of Father, Son and Holy Spirit in redemption, for instance, we see that God the Father planned it and God the Father sent the Son. The Son came to earth, died, was resurrected to be with God on high and sent God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is with us now, is applying redemption to us, is is uniting us with God and with one another. So that's what happened in redemption, but the Holy Spirit does more than that. And that's, a, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's go back to a statement of faith that we have. So the statement of faith, there are lots of statements. This is the one about the Holy Spirit. Carey's statement of faith, "...the Holy Spirit gives new life to all believers and resides in them permanently. He makes them holy and enables them to grow into the likeness of Christ. Through His Spirit, God empowers all His people for life and witness." Granting them various gifts for the well-being, functioning and mission of the church. So we're going to explore that a little bit more. and we're going to explore it in four pieces. The first piece we're going to explore this morning is that the Holy Spirit empowers. The second is that the Holy Spirit purifies. The third, the Holy Spirit reveals, and the final one the Holy Spirit unifies. Now if you're a writer or a, or a note taker, uh, all of those will come on the slides in a minute. so We'll come back to each of those. Let's start with the Holy Spirit empowers. How does the Holy Spirit empower? He gives life. The Holy Spirit gives us life. In Psalm 104 verse 30, it tells us this, when you, this is God, when you send forth your spirit, they are created. The Holy Spirit gives us life. In Matthew 1:18, it tells us that Jesus' conception was the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this in Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And not only our life now, but also our resurrection into an eternal future. Listen to what Romans 8.11 says. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, so who is Him who raised Jesus? God the Father. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Romans 8.11, that's one to write down as well because in that one verse we see all three of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and what they do all three of them at work. The Holy Spirit empowers us for life. But in addition, the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve. In the Old Testament, we read about the Spirit of the Lord coming on the judges, and the judges delivered Israel. The nation of God, they delivered them from all sorts of foes and issues. The Holy Spirit came mightily on King David, empowering him to lead Israel. So there's some of the Old Testament examples. Then in the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit at work in Jesus' life. Jesus himself in Luke 4 says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me as he was serving others and doing amazing miracles. So for followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve. Today is Pentecost. Today is the day we celebrate Pentecost. Now, what does that mean? Pentecost means 50 days. The pente is, is 50. And it's 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. And there was a feast that the, uh, the Jews were celebrating after the Passover when Jesus died. 50 days later, they were celebrating a feast. And on this day of Pentecost, 50 days later, Jesus' followers were gathered. They were gathered together, maybe a bit like us, quietly, praying, spending time together, wondering what was coming. And then on this day of Pentecost, still mourning Jesus perhaps in some way, here's what happened. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's in Acts 2. In this account in Acts 2, this amazing thing happened. The Spirit of God descended on the disciples, maybe something like that, in a visible way. But what happened is that the Holy Spirit empowered them to preach and witness to the people around them. You see, in Jerusalem for the feast at the time, there were lots of people from all sorts of different countries speaking lots of different languages. And the disciples that were touched by the Holy Spirit started to speak in these other languages that they didn't know. But they were empowered to serve God by speaking into the lives of these other people gathered. The Holy Spirit empowered them to speak And preach the word of God. Pentecost was the birth of the church. It was the ushering in of this new covenant age that Jesus' death and resurrection brought in that said that all people can be saved by grace through faith. It was a shifting era and the Holy Spirit came. Jesus had said to his followers in John 14, 17 that the Holy Spirit would come and be with them and in them. And Peter, in his preaching, talked about the prophet Joel. And you see in Acts 2, he quotes the scripture from Joel, and he talks about this point where Joel had said, God will pour out his spirit on all people. So this change, this shift at this point in Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit provided more power, empowering people to declare God's Word. Empowering people with spiritual gifts. What does that mean? What are the spiritual gifts? Well, there are two great sections of the Bible that tell us about how the whole, or some of the gifts the Holy Spirit brings. I want to read some of them to you. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says that the Holy Spirit apportions spiritual gifts for the common good, and here are some of those gifts knowledge, healing, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. And in Romans 8, there's a different list. It talks about serving, the gift of serving, the gift of administration, the gift of exhortation, and the one that I know you all want, the gift of giving. They're all identified in Romans 8. But what's fascinating about these lists is that it's the Spirit who determines who's going to get which gift. And it's the Spirit that gives them to us for the common good. When Pentecost came, the disciples didn't get a language just to entertain themselves. It was to speak into other people's lives about Jesus. They were empowered to serve. Jesus had said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So speaking of power, have you ever dreamed of being a superhero? Ever dreamed of being a superhero? Or have you ever played that sort of game in your mind with somebody else where the question is, which superpower would you like? What would be your favourite superpower? I wonder wonder what your response was. Um, uh, Superman or uh, Wonder Woman or... uh, I was talking to one of the youth the other week and uh, Squirrel Girl came up. I've not heard of Squirrel Girl, so I inquired a little bit about who Squirrel Girl was, but apparently Squirrel Girl is a superhero. And I said, what what superpowers does Squirrel Girl have? And I still don't really understand what superpowers Squirrel Girl has, but perhaps you've played that game. For me, I wanted to be Aquaman. Aquaman. You see... Aquaman can swim really fast and I used to love swimming and he could kind of communicate to all the whales and stuff and I just thought that would be so cool. And then I realized as I was preparing this sermon how vulnerable you are as a pastor and how, uh, you know, you get to share all these nerdy secrets. But at least I thought my wife, uh, now you can all commiserate with her and, uh, and who I am. So Helen, I guess there's some benefits for you here. But I wonder what your superpower was or, or who you wanted to be and I wonder even more importantly why. And when I started thinking why did I want to be Aquaman? The answer was not for the common good. The answer was not so that I could serve people better and do good things. It was actually kind of for me. I wanted to be cool. I want to be able to just go swimming faster than everybody else whenever I wanted to. The power was something I wanted for me rather than actually to serve others. There's a really instructive passage warning us against this when we think about the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, there's a guy called Simon. He'd become a believer. So this is a Christian guy. He's following Jesus. And he saw the power that the disciples conveyed when they laid hands. And the Holy Spirit came on people. And he says to John and Peter who are doing this, give me also this ability so everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I want to be that superhero. That's the superpower I want. And here's what Peter says to him. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. You see, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for us is actually to bless others. It's for the common good, it's not for us. So, the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve. It's for the common good and for God's glory. Let's move on to the second way that the Holy Spirit works and I'm going to move through these second, third and fourth ones a little bit more swiftly, but I do have up uh, next... These uh, just to summarise for you. So the Holy Spirit empowers, the Holy Spirit purifies. In 1 Corinthians 6.11 it tells us that we are washed, sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Romans 8.13 tells us that it is by the Spirit that we put to death the misdeeds of our body. And Galatians 5, you might be familiar with that, tells us that we can grow in the qualities of the Holy Spirit that are love, joy, peace, patience, etc. It's not surprising, is it, that the Holy Spirit is the one that provides purification, the one that allows us to be set apart for God. It's a holiness and a purifying nature that allows us to focus on God's glory that comes through the Holy Spirit for us. So the Holy Spirit empowers, the Holy Spirit purifies and the Holy Spirit reveals. Sometimes this act of revelation is new and it's startling. There were prophets in the Old Testament who got these revelations and they said, guess what's going to happen? And nobody could because it was just new and different. And they said, no, God's going to do this. The Holy Spirit revealed to a few people that This little baby that Mary had was going to be the Messiah. Startling revelation. But it is not always a startling revelation. Sometimes the Holy Spirit reveals the presence of God in a quiet way. In Romans 8 it says this, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now what this is saying is that there's a revelation of who we are, a revelation in our heart of hearts, a revelation of assurance and a revelation of peace of who we are. That's what the Holy Spirit brings. It's not always this big, big banner, guess what's going to happen there's a revelation of assurance and peace of who we are in God. And sometimes the Holy Spirit reveals direction for God's people. Again, sometimes it can be dramatic. There's, a, there's an amazing story, in Acts, also in Acts 8, where uh, Philip, one of the disciples, has, has just witnessed to an Ethiopian guide. He's just baptised him. And then the Bible says that he's taken, transported somewhere else. This amazing redirection of the Holy Spirit of Philip. But more often, the guidance in the, strip, in the scripture is like what comes out of Galatians 5. It talks about walking with the Spirit. In Galatians 5.16, it says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk. That's not an incredible, amazing thing necessarily, is it? It's just walking with the Spirit. It's a day-by-day thing as the Spirit reveals to us how to walk with God. And finally, in this section of revealing, the Holy Spirit reveals truth. Fake news abounds, as we know these days. What a blessing then that our understanding of truth isn't dependent on what we see on TV, what we hear on the radio, or even on having a perfect pastor, which we certainly do not. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. John 16, 13, if you're taking notes. So we've looked at the Holy Spirit empowering, the Holy Spirit purifying, the Holy Spirit revealing. And our last one this morning in this list is that the Holy Spirit unifies. As we contemplate the outcome of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost... We see the formation of the church. And I want to read to you a couple of the verses in Acts 2 that describe what that looked like. It looked like this. This group of people, 3,000 it was said, were, were added to the disciples' number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. You see, the Spirit gives gifts for the common good. The Spirit unifies people together, brings them together. So this morning we've spent a fair bit of time on teaching and on knowledge, haven't we? We've talked about who the Holy Spirit is. We've talked about what is the role of the Holy Spirit. And I've got kind of a downloaded stuff and it's, it's been a bunch of facts and there's been some things up there. And I think at Pentecost that happened too. Peter preached. He said, here's what the scripture says and here's what it means. And, and let me give you some information about what's happening. But it wasn't just knowledge. What happened at Pentecost was also an experience. This phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's used frequently in the New Testament. In many passages in the Bible, we see people are said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 5.18, we are simply told, commanded even, to be filled with the Spirit. And so this morning... We're going to have an opportunity together to be filled with the Spirit, and in a few minutes, we're going to have the opportunity. I'm I'm going to pray this, and and I'm going to ask you if you feel comfortable, if you would like that, to pray, Holy Spirit, come fill me. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. For some of you, I imagine right now you're thinking, Yes, we need to do that more often. Bring it on! I can't wait. For some of you, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, this is weird, I didn't sign up for this, sounds like we're going to go to some things that I'm just not really sure if that's right or not, maybe right on the edge of that sort of doctrinal stuff. And for others of you, there might be a sort of a sense of, I'm going to detach from this right now because this sounds just a little bit scary. It's okay, I, I believe it, I, I think it's good for everybody else, but I'm going to step back and just going to watch what happens I don't know which camp you're in this morning. But for those of you who are not in the bring it on camp, I want to just address a couple of things before we open this up to the Holy Spirit. I want to try and address a few questions that might be going through your head that are reasons why you're concerned about saying, Holy Spirit, come fill me. You see, you might be wondering, well, I already believe in Jesus. Aren't I already filled with the Spirit? How, how can I be filled again? And for that, I need a balloon. So this balloon. Would you say it's? What would you say in, about it in relation to air? It's filled with air, right? Is that filled with air? I think. It's, what's that balloon? You want to be filled with air? The balloon wants to be filled with air? Okay. The balloon is now more filled with air. Just because we've been filled once doesn't mean we can't be filled again. There are some great scriptural references where we see Peter filled with the Spirit, it says at Pentecost. And then a few days later, It says he was filled again when he went and talked to the Sanhedrin. And then that evening he was filled again as he and the disciples prayed. Peter was filled multiple times and there are other examples as well of being filled with the Spirit many times. So as believers, we can ask to be filled even if we already have the Holy Spirit in us. Okay, you say, "Uh, I can handle that. All right, that, that was a cute little analogy, but yeah, that's cool. Actually, my real issue is this. Are you saying that that I'll have to speak in tongues? That's the big question, isn't it, with this Holy Spirit thing? Am I going to speak in tongues? Is somebody here going to speak in tongues? Is there going to be prophecy here this morning? Maybe. Maybe. And maybe not. You see, this morning's not a morning where I have uh, spoken to the Holy Spirit and I've lined the Holy Spirit up to turn up at 9.55 or whatever time it is. The Holy Spirit is God. Our job is just to say, come Holy Spirit. And it may be this morning that the Holy Spirit comes in a way that is incredible and filled with power. That is visible to all of us for the common good. But it may also be that the Holy Spirit comes in our hearts, quietly. In that sense that we talked about as walking with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you are open to receiving the Holy Spirit this morning, if you want to pray this prayer, come fill me. It may be that the Holy Spirit comes and you get to speak in tongues, but it may not. That's not the big deal. The big deal is just asking the Holy Spirit to be in you. And if you are worried about the Holy Spirit being this this spirit that comes and takes you over, that's not how the Holy Spirit works either. There is no sense this morning in which you might suddenly have something come into you which you do not want. God does not work that way. God wants only when you voluntarily say, God, I want a deeper relationship with you, that's when God will come to you. So you don't have to worry this morning that something's going to happen to you that you don't want. And whether anybody speaks in tongues or prophecy or there's anything visible, here's what we can be assured of this morning as we ask this question. That there is going to be a God-like atmosphere. When we invite the Holy Spirit in, there's an atmosphere of peace and not confusion. That's what the Bible tells us. An atmosphere of peace, not confusion. One of love and not of judgment. An atmosphere of hope and joy, not shame or guilt an atmosphere of intimacy with God, not one of separation. The Holy Spirit will come and minister to each of us individually, individually, but also to us, to bond us together and unify us. So finally, as we move into this time and you're thinking, well, I, I, I might pray, can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? But then what? Let me encourage you to be thinking or praying these things. Pray for a deeper relationship with God. Pray for more joy as we worship. Pray for greater power to serve others. So, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the music team to play just quietly. In fact, you guys are ready to go if you'd like. I said after the prayer, but we'll get the music team to just start playing quietly behind us. I'm also going to ask some people to just step to the side, sort of to the back and the side. They'll set up a couple of chairs. They'll be there. If you want prayer, please feel free to just go and sit with them for anything. I've just asked them to to, uh, sit there and, and just to be ready to pray with you. So seek them out if you'd like to. And then once I've prayed this prayer, I'm going to hand over to the Holy Spirit. I'm actually going to step off the stage and come sit down on this seat down here. Because I want the Holy Spirit to fill me this morning too. Not that He can't on the stage, but it's more like we're in this together and we're just going to see what happens. So let's pray. And I think what I'll do, I will ask, why don't we stand together and pray? So would you stand with me? And we're going to pray. Now, once we've prayed, feel free to sit. Feel free to stand feel free to not do what the person next to you does. I just want to give you that empowerment. But let us pray together this morning with excitement, with expectation but no pressure, with an understanding that the God that we worship is here and alive, that the God that we worship is good but not always safe. Are you ready? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Father God, oh Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you empower us, Holy Spirit, that you purify, unify us and you reveal your truth and direction. Come this morning, Holy Spirit, come amongst us. We invite you. We invite you this morning afresh we invite you to fill us as you will we invite you to fill us for your purposes in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God the Father come Holy Spirit